Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posted June 2nd, 2017, we talk with Bard College Professor of Political Studies Omar G. Encarnacion about his article in the new WPJ Spring issue, The Patriarchy's Revenge, How Retro-Macho Politics Doomed Dilma Rousseff in Brazil. We'll also point out other top features in that spring issue, cover line, Fascism Rising. You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. They have just overthrown the first woman elected president of Brazil without there being any constitutional justification for this impeachment. No, renunciarei. It was only last September that veteran leftist, activist, and politician Dilma Rousseff was ousted as president of Brazil on charges of illegally using funds from the central bank to conceal a budget deficit amid a worsening economy and growing corruption scandals. And by last month, such scandals had swept over the more conservative vice president who succeeded her, Michel Temer who vowed repeatedly not to resign in the face of mounting protests that, briefly, prompted him to order troops into the streets of Brasilia. While the nation and the world wait to see if Brazil will oust its second president in less than a year, the country's crisis of governance dramatizes the weaknesses of its patriarchal political system in challenging, changing times. Are they key to Brazil's corruption, to many of its economic problems, and to the downfall of its first female leader? So writes Bard College Professor of Political Studies Omar G. Encarnacion in the spring issue of World Policy Journal. His article is headlined, The Patriarchy's Revenge, How Retro-Macho Politics Doomed Dilma Rousseff, and we discussed it recently for this podcast. Professor Encarnacion, welcome to World Policy on Air. Thank you for having me and for allowing me to speak about my article. Good. Remind us just who Dilma Rousseff is or was. First, her work with a Marxist guerrilla group that led to being jailed and tortured. Well, she is the first woman elected president of Brazil. Uh, She entered politics as a member of the National Liberation Command, uh, which was, as you noted, a Marxist group. Uh, Like many such groups in Latin America, uh, the group sought radical economic change, uh, believing that bourgeois democracy uh, was not enough uh, to bring about such changes. Uh, she was uh, jailed for about two years uh, because of her activism. Uh, uh, during this time, she was tortured, abused by the military, uh, eventually uh, left jail. I was able to earn an economics degree and then enter politics in the, the state of Rio Grande do Sul. Uh, how did she get to be president without being the wife or widow of one? Uh, that's an interesting question because so many of Latin America's uh, female presidents have been either widows uh, or, or, or from prominent Ameri- uh, 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 political families, uh, such as Michelle Bachelet uh, of Chile. Uh, she was active in local politics uh, in Rio Grande do Sul. Uh, she was the Treasury Secretary of the city of uh, Porto Alegre, which is the capital city of that state. Uh, then she became the Secretary of Energy uh, within that state. And from that position, she was tapped by Lula uh, to be Secretary of Energy for, for, for the country. Uh, and eventually, uh, she became uh, his chief of staff. That is the most prominent position within the Brazilian cabinet, so she was a logical heir uh, to Lula. 
clearly being handpicked to succeed a president as popular as Lula with an approval rating of nearly 80% helped at the start, but also was her original sin in the eyes of many other political leaders. Say more about that and the key components of retro macho politics in Brazil and elsewhere in Latin America. Yeah, in many regards, she was never forgiven uh, for having been essentially handpicked uh, by, by Lula and for bypassing uh, many others within the so-called Lula machine, meaning those uh, working within the Workers' Party who felt that perhaps uh, they were more entitled uh, to that position than, 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 than uh, uh, Dilma was. Um, uh, in any case, uh, we're looking at a fairly conservative society, which I think may come as a shock to many people when they think of Brazil, when they think of uh, sort of hedonistic Brazil and, and the Brazil of Carnaval and, 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 and the like. Uh, but it is actually a very conservative country, has some of the most conservative laws in Latin America, uh, especially those pertaining to gender quotas, which are actually quite weak uh, in Brazil. Uh, the Congress, as I note uh, in the piece, uh, is only about 10% female, which does not compare very favorably uh, to much of Latin America, which I think averaged about 30% uh, with countries like Bolivia, for example, uh, hitting the threshold of over 50%. Uh, so we're looking at a country that in many ways is a paradox. I think externally it looks very liberal, uh, but internally it's actually quite conservative. Still, you remind us that Rousseff enjoyed success and popularity in her first three uh, years. Give us some examples, including passage of two landmark laws. Uh, sure. Uh, she was basically known as a clean uh, politician, which is quite rare in Brazil. Uh, she was also thought to be dull uh, and primarily, essentially, uh, a technocrat. Uh, she focused uh, her energies uh, initially on two major laws. The first one was the one that led to the creation of a truth commission uh, to investigate the political and human rights uh, abuses of the military in place between 1964 and 1985. Uh, by the year 2012, uh, Brazil was something of an anomaly in Latin America for not having had such a commission. Uh, the first one, as you might know, was that of Argentina, the very famous uh, Nunca Mas, Never Again Commission, that looked into the political and human rights uh, uh, transgressions of the military that eventually led uh, to the prosecution in 1995-96. So Brazil was sort of uh, an anomaly in not having done so. The military had resisted such a commission for more than 20 years, uh, fearing prosecution. Uh, so it was a major success, uh, I think, both for democracy, for Brazilian democracy, and for Rousseff herself, uh, to be able to uh, shepherd this law and to manage to form uh, the commission. The second law, which could well... Uh, go on to define her legacy uh, was the anti-corruption law that eventually led to the creation of the so-called Operation Car Wash, which is the massive dragnet uh, that's basically gripping Brazil, literally speaking, uh, and that so far has snarled perhaps as many as half uh, of the members of the Congress, uh, and that has led, obviously, to her downfall, but also that to many of her enemies, uh, including the former Speaker of the House, uh, uh, Cunha. And what about economic and social policy uh, agendas and accomplishments? Well, she you know, inherited a very healthy economy, at least a very uh, uh, vibrant and growing one. That was essentially hallmark uh, of the, uh, the Lula years. But by the year 2013, uh, things began to slow down uh, for a whole host of reasons, uh, including the end of the soy boom uh, that the Chinese had basically manufactured uh, in Latin America. Uh, and it was also the extravagant spending uh, that went alongside uh, the hosting of the World Cup in 2014 and, of course, uh, the Rio Olympics uh, in 2000, uh, uh, well, just, just last year. Uh, these things combined creating tremendous discomfort amongst the Brazilian public and led to massive protests uh, in 2013, the biggest protest the country had seen uh, since the downfall of the dictatorship uh, in the mid-1980s. Um, um, uh, she was able to win elections. Uh, uh, by fairly uh, comfortable, although I bet uh, narrow margins, I think about 2-3%, uh, and that basically set her on the course uh, towards impeachment. 
Talk about the main plotters against her, starting with her own vice president from a different party within her coalition, uh, and never at ease, you say, with a female superior. Uh, yes, and this is something I think perhaps uh, unusual uh, to, to, to most Americans, why the vice president would be someone from a different party. Uh, but the Brazilian party system is highly, highly fragmented. There are about 2,000 parties presented uh, in the Brazilian Congress. So it's not unusual for parties to run essentially in tandem uh, or to pick individuals from other parties uh, to create larger coalitions uh, that allow presidents to rule. And that was the case uh, of uh, Rousseff when she chose uh, Michel Temer as her running mate. Uh, he comes from a center-right party, uh, the so-called Brazilian Democratic Movement Party. He uh, is a very adroit politician, one who essentially moves left and right depending on, on the political winds. Um, and uh, the story goes that he was never quite at ease uh, in essentially playing second fiddle to a female. There's a notorious letter uh, that he wrote right before impeachment uh, where he essentially compares himself to a Christmas ornament, uh, suggesting that essentially he had neglected uh, to take his views into account. Uh, and he became one, one, one of the leading opponents, um, not so much in the forefront, but certainly in the background, uh, that eventually led to her downfall. Another plotter was the Speaker of the Chamber of Deputies from the Beef, Bullets, and Bible Caucus, you call it. Say more about both. Uh, yes, uh, this is Eduardo Cunha, the, the former Speaker of the Chamber of Deputies, essentially the, the, the lower house or, or, or the House of Representatives. Uh, he rose to influence in 19... Uh, 2014, I'm sorry, uh, during uh, the last general elections, which elected the largest number of socially conservative uh, members uh, to the Congress, uh, at least since uh, the new constitution of, of 18, uh, 1988. Uh, many of these members, as you noted, uh, belong to the so-called BBB caucus, uh, which stands for Beef, Bullets, and Bible. Uh, they represent the interests of the uh, agrarian oligarchs, uh, the security apparatus, uh, and of course uh, the evangelical lobbies. Uh, they generally focus on things like uh, providing and securing subsidies for the ag agrarian sector, uh, liberalizing Brazil's uh, gone laws, and uh, fighting abortion uh, and LGBT rights. Uh, Mr. Cunha essentially uh, brought uh, these legislators together uh, and became the, 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 the electoral foundation uh, for the impeachment process. Uh, the charges against Rousseff smacked of sexism from the start, you write, since past presidents had used the same budgetary tricks. Uh, yes, the, her, her, her crime uh, was to have tinkered with the budget, essentially by moving monies uh, from the central bank uh, into her government uh, to cover deficits, uh, deficits in the run-up to the elections. The whole point, according to her accusers, is that she was making herself look better uh, and the country's financial picture uh, far more secure. Uh, then, in fact, uh, it was. Now, this practice was quite widespread, uh, and in fact, it is a time-honored practice uh, by previous uh, presidents. It had been done by uh, Cardoso uh, and also by her mentor, Lula, yet, of course, uh, neither one of them uh, was impeached. It's hardly coincidental that those who led the impeachment have been caught up in charges of corruption far more self-enriching than any Rousseff faced, and not just Temer. Uh, indeed, uh, and I should note that the operation is massive. It's the largest of such uh, operations ever undertaken by any Latin American country, which I think speaks volumes about the scope of, of corruption uh, within Brazil. Uh, much of it has to do uh, with Petrobras, uh, the country's largest uh, enterprise, maybe the largest uh, in Latin America. Uh, and what is fascinating about, about the, the, the operation, as I think you noted, uh, is how many uh, Brazilian politicians have been caught uh, in its net uh, so far, including Cunha, but also, as we uh, noted, uh, Temer himself, who could well be impeached. Uh, on, on corruption charges. 
all of them, again, uh, had been uh, snarled by the crisis. And one of the more moving parts of the impeachment is when uh, Rousseff herself uh, made the point that amongst Brazilian politicians, she was the cleanest of the lot. Uh, and she always took pride in the fact that she never stole from the Treasury and that, in fact, she herself had not been caught uh, in the corruption scandals. In fact, her impeachment was meant to halt investigation of widespread corruption, according to a secret tape. Say more about that. And how retro-macho politics abets the corruption? Uh, sure. Uh, I, I think what, what would have been expected of a typical uh, president would have been to actually stop uh, the, 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 the operation. In fact, she, I think she had the chance on technical grounds on one of the prosecutors essentially leaked some information concerning uh, the operation. That would have been the point when her advisors reportedly, had told her to basically stop the process. But she was convinced uh, that Brazil needed this investigation, and that's why she reappointed the prosecutor, and the investigation essentially has continued. Um, yeah, I write about how the trial essentially embodied, uh, I think, most people's image uh, of a witch trial, uh, which, as we know, uh, were prevalent uh, in the 16th, 17th century in Europe. They generally prosecuted females uh, suspected of heresy, uh, but also those who were presumed to aspire uh, to power. I think the most telling example of this is that scene, uh, which is captured by the media, and I think uh, the, 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 the image uh, basically went viral, uh, of Rousseff essentially being confronted um, by the legislators who eventually uh, voted to impeach. This is on, on, the day of the, of, on, the, on the day that the legislators voted to authorize impeachment, uh, and they held plankards uh, reading Chao Querida, uh, Goodbye Darling, which many, many people have seen and have, have read uh, essentially as a misogynist uh, send-off. Her chief tormentor in the Chamber of Deputies had a long history of hateful misogyny and other prejudice, which led him to vote in a way that now has him under investigation. Tell us that story. Yes, this is uh, quite a character. Uh, his name is Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, he's a congressman from Rio de Janeiro. Uh, he's been referred to by many outlets uh, online and in, 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 in the printed media as perhaps the world's most hateful politician. Uh, he's famous for once having remarked to a colleague on the floor of the Brazilian Congress, no less, that she was, quote-unquote, not worth raping. Uh, he said this after she had praised the work of a truth commission for having unveiled the sexual abuse that was so rampant uh, under the military dictatorship. He also has said uh, quite, I think it was in a, in a Playboy interview, uh, that he would rather his son die than come out as homosexual uh, and has uh, labeled Haitian immigrants coming to Brazil as, quote-unquote, the scum of the earth. Uh, he, I believe uh, it's in the article, uh, essentially uh, noted that his vote to impeach uh, was to the honor of the former regime, which essentially uh, not only brutalized the country, uh, but was infamous uh, for its abuse against females. And because he made that uh, uh, dedication of his vote, uh, that, caused, that, that brought him under investigation. That apparently is one of the uh, several charges that could potentially... He also sort of misbehaved uh, on the floor of the Congress. Uh, so there's a variety of charges that are being brought against him, yes. Uh, Rousseff's gender became an issue for opponents and supporters in the streets. There's a long, long history, as I note in the article, about uh, the use of her gender uh, as a way to attack her and actually to, to, to ridicule her. Uh, she's been accused of not being attractive enough, of not meeting the standards of uh, Brazilian femininity. 
uh, one very uh, uh, widely cited article uh, make the note that she essentially failed to make herself sexually attractive to the voters. Uh, and also her status as a single uh, divorced uh, female has been held against her as evidence uh, that she's not attractive uh, to potential uh, male suitors. Um, I also write about her uh, relationship with the Brazilian feminist movement, uh, which is actually quite interesting. Uh, it is some, something of a torture relationship. Uh, initially, they admired her political career, her accomplishments, and of course, her uh, ability to win uh, elections. But eventually, they soured on her after she failed to come through on some of the early promises, especially uh, the liberalization of abortion, uh, which remains uh, quite, quite restricted. Um, uh, in Brazil. Nonetheless, they praised her uh, for her behavior throughout the impeachment process. They very much approved of the way in which she forcefully argued uh, that her gender was being held uh, against her. Uh, and she actually called the congressman when she testified uh, in Congress that she was a victim of misogyny uh, and of sexism. She made it very clear that this would not be happening uh, to a male politician. A highly concentrated, hostile media, you say, served as a major cheerleader for impeachment. Uh, yes, and that was, uh, as I said before, some of the things that I noted essentially were published uh, by the major dailies, uh, and in particularly uh, the media, which, which I think you, I, I note in the piece, uh, is heavily concentrated by a few oligarchical families, and they own newspapers and television, especially O Global, uh, which became the main media voice uh, for impeachment. How do you rate Rousseff's legacy now? That's an interesting question. I think it will be a while before we have a full sense of what, what her legacy uh, and her administration uh, might have meant to Brazil. I mean, she clearly is a historical figure, uh, and the longer the country goes without another female president, uh, the more, I think, historical or historic uh, her presidency uh, will seem. Um, I think it all depends on what happens to uh, the corruption uh, campaign, the anti-corruption campaign. If it succeeds in transforming Brazil, even superficially perhaps, uh, then I think her legacy uh, will be enhanced. Uh, if the campaign essentially in the end translates into business as usual, uh, then again I think she will, she will lose some luster. But, but I, th I think she'll be remembered uh, more positively than negatively, uh, if only because she stood up uh, to corruption. Uh, she held her own. And she was very, I think she was very wise in casting herself uh, in, in, in the light of past uh, Brazilian leaders, especially those on the left, who had been tortured, mistreated uh, by the right uh, in the so-called patriarchy. Bring the story up to date with uh, Tamer's reshaping the cabinet and policy, particularly affecting women. As I note, uh, you know, he essentially uh, has named uh, the first uh, all-white, uh, all-male cabinet of the democratic period, again, since uh, the new constitution of 1888. Uh, this is also a very conservative uh, cabinet uh, with all kinds of ties, primarily to the agrarian sector. Uh, this is also a very conservative uh, cabinet, reflecting uh, the rise of conservatism uh, that we saw in the 2014 elections. Uh, he has done a number of things that have upset a lot of people on the left, uh, particularly the downgrading of human rights, uh, women's rights. He collapsed both of these ministries uh, into the Ministry of Justice, uh, suggesting that perhaps he does not hold these things as important as was the case uh, with previous uh, administrations. As far as policy is concerned, not much has happened, and it's very much uh, like the situation here in the, in the U.S. Uh, under Trump. Uh, the scandals have so consumed the administration and, 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 and essentially the country uh, that not much is being done. He himself, as you know, uh, is under investigation. Uh, recently, uh, recordings um, 
were unearthed, uh, linking him to Cunha, the, the disgraced uh, former Speaker of the House. There's a recording where he actually offers a bribe to Cunha. He argues that, that the recordings were doctored. Uh, he also argues that he shouldn't be prosecuted while, he, while he's in office. Uh, so he's looking at a, at, a, at a fairly, fairly dismal picture as he himself heads into potentially a re-election under his own right, meaning this will be his first term after completing uh, uh, Rousseff's uh, second term. You mentioned Donald Trump here in the U.S. Talk about the way you see retro macho politics boosting Presidents Temer and Trump as a backlash against the rise of women in politics and what you call a perceived feminization of politics itself. Yes, I tried to raise this, this, this sort of larger theme about retromagic politics, which is essentially a type of backlash uh, against the rise of women and minorities uh, in power. Ironically, I think this backlash is strongest in countries like Brazil and the U.S., uh, where women and minorities have not traditionally uh, been seen uh, in positions of, uh, of power. Uh, and a related point uh, is this backlash against the policies that women and minorities tend to champion while they're in office, things like human rights. Uh, LGBT rights, multiculturalism, uh, and environmental uh, protection. These things are often seen as, quote-unquote, uh, sort of the feminization uh, of politics and policies. Uh, it's also a way, as I note, uh, to diminish uh, the accomplishments and the legacy of female and minority uh, politicians. We see this quite clearly, for example, uh, with the case of uh, former Secretary Hillary Clinton. Uh, during the 2016 campaign, she was attacked uh, for lacking accomplishments as Secretary of State, yet she was responsible for the groundwork that led to the Paris uh, Climate uh, Change Agreement, the landmark UN resolution on sexual orientation and gender identity, and of course, uh, she, was a, she was a champion of, of women and girls. In fact, she put both uh, on the forefront of U.S. foreign policy, yet the debate surrounded what did she do as Secretary of State. How do you see retromacho politics shaping the outcome of the corruption charges against Temer in impeachment proceedings or a case already before the Supreme Electoral Tribunal or in a general election next year or sooner? He still has powerful allies who aren't in jail. Uh, he certainly does. I actually don't really see uh, many of the themes that I raise in, 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 in the essay as being that, that, that terribly sort of upfront uh, in, in any kind of campaign against him. I think one of, one of the weird things about the story is how this issue of sex and misogyny was actually mostly observed by, by outside observers like myself rather than by the local media and even by the local politicians. So I, I don't see that much of a connection between what, what I write about in the piece and what Brazilians, particularly ordinary Brazilians, actually uh, uh, think about. So how do you see the process playing out? I, I've, I've read just recently that impeachment is probably the least likely way that he would be forced from office. Yeah, we don't know how this, this will play out. It could all be the case, by the way, that he himself is uh, forbidden from running uh, for re-election, uh, which would be quite interesting if he's, in fact, for example, is indicted, uh, which, which has, yet, has yet to happen. Uh, again, he's arguing uh, that uh, the evidence, uh, this is this recording uh, obtained by, I think it was a global, uh, essentially uh, is fake. Um, and then he's also arguing on, on constitutional grounds. Uh, that he should not be essentially uh, prosecuted uh, while, while, while in office. So we, we just don't know how things will, will, will play itself out. But he's incredibly uh, uh, unpopular, uh, and I think his chances for re-election, I, I believe, are quite slim.
who are the prominent potential contenders for uh, Brazil's presidency uh, when whatever happens to the current president finally happens? That's right. So we're looking at general elections again in 2018. I think there are three people who stand out, or three candidates. Uh, one, of course, is Tamer, uh, the current president. Uh, despite uh, his many problems, he remains uh, the leader of his party, which is the largest, by the way, uh, in the Congress. So we should not uh, count him out. Uh, the second person is uh, the person that we mentioned earlier, uh, this fellow, uh, Bolsonaro, also re often referred to as the Brazilian and uh, Donald Trump. Uh, he is quite outlandish uh, in the way in which he speaks about uh, women, minorities, uh, but somehow he has tapped uh, into something much like Trump uh, about the Brazilian electorate. Uh, people regard him as someone who speaks the truth, someone who relates to the common person, uh, and someone who does not stand uh, for uh, political uh, correctness. The third person, of course, uh, although perhaps not, of course, uh, is Lula, who actually is allowed uh, to run for office again. Uh, now, Lula, as we noted before, he left office uh, in 2011 as, perha as perhaps the world's most popular politician. By the way, that's, that was a, a characterization uh, that President Obama uh, made about uh, Lula. But he has been uh, embroiled in the scandals as well, as you might note from having read the piece. Uh, Rousseff tried to shield him from, 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 from uh, the scandals by naming him uh, his chief, her chief of staff. Uh, but that has ended, which means that he is potentially a uh, target uh, of the investigation. So again, we don't know whether he would be allowed uh, to run. Uh, if he were to run, however, this is not the same person who left office. Uh, his approval ratings are actually quite low, I think below 50% at this point. Uh, so we're looking at, at three sort of fairly damaged candidates. Of course, hopefully someone will, 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 will emerge uh, who's sort of free of corruption, perhaps capitalize on that. But at the moment, we're looking at, at, at these three very wounded and very flawed uh, politicians, which I think is a, is a, it's, it's a, it's a terrible sort of metaphor uh, of the state of affairs uh, in Brazilian politics today. And beyond personalities, what do you see as the most effective antidote to retro-macho politics in Brazil? That's an interesting question uh, without a, uh, a clear answer. I think you might look to look uh, beyond Brazil, uh, other parts of Latin America, where the phenomena that I write about are not as, is not as, 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 as uh, egregious. Uh, countries like Argentina, uh, Brazil, certainly Uruguay. I think I would probably uh, name three things that come to my mind as things that might potentially uh, minimize uh, the issue. One, obviously, uh, is reducing inequality. Uh, Brazil is the world's most unequal society. At least that's, that's what's widely uh, said, certainly in Latin America. Uh, this inequality breeds all kinds of social pathologies, including sexism um, and misogyny. So that, that's one thing that I would uh, note uh, from the top of my head. Uh, the second point I would, I would guess is enacting legislation uh, uh, protecting minorities, uh, women in Brazil. Brazil is a laggard uh, when it comes to social policy with respect to discrimination. Uh, it has some of the weakest uh, protections against discrimination for women, for minorities. It's the only country the only major country in Latin America does not have a federal law uh, banning anti-gay discrimination, for example. And thirdly, I would note strengthen the rule of law. Uh, the country is notorious uh, for how weak uh, the judiciary is. So beefing up uh, that branch of government uh, would help tremendously, if only by not letting so many crimes uh, go unpunished. Professor Encarnacion, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Omar G. Encarnacion is a professor of political studies at Bard College, and author of Out in the Periphery, Latin America's Gay Rights Revolution, from Oxford University Press in 2016. Since we spoke, a holding company behind the giant JBS meatpacking firm, Brazil's largest and the world's, co-owned by the man who tape-recorded Tamer, was ordered to pay a record $3.2 billion fine for bribing nearly 2,000 politicians in recent years. 
JBS stocks have slid 28% over the past scandal-riddled month, but the nation's economy overall reportedly grew for the first time in two years, at the fastest rate since 2013, making it more likely that major political powers would support continuing Tamer's presidency to minimize more instability. Support for beginning impeachment in the U.S., meanwhile, was reported rising to 43% of all voters, including 38% of independents and 15% of Republicans, in a new morning consult poll versus only 45% opposed. A new Quinnipiac University survey found that 54% of Americans believe Trump is abusing the powers of his office, including 12% of Republicans, 51% of independents, and 88% of Democrats. The morning consult poll also found only 35% of voters saying Trump's foreign trip helped relations overseas, with 32% saying it hurt, as the president insulted nearly 200 other nations by pulling the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement they signed on to. Also featured in the new WPJ Spring Issue, cover line Fascism Rising, you'll find numerous views on how corruption of language and distortion of history contribute to dictatorship and how the process can best be fought. Also reports on Trump's savage brand of capitalism, on the politics of fabricated terrorism, and on the infrastructure of counterinsurgency. And listen next week when our podcast will consider the battle over Ukraine's past to shape its future. World Policy On Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, online news editor Laurel Jerombeck, podcast producer Anna Grace Carter. I'm David Alpern.